the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. And I am your headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom. And it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. I'm joined in studio, of course, once again by the producer of Education Nation and our co-host, Mark Durkin. Hello again, Rebecca. Hello, Mark. It's always good to see you. You as well. Yeah. School is right around I the I know. It is so close. Just like our song, our lead-in song, School is Now in Session, session. That's right? right. It's here. <laughs> it is here. Well, nearly three months after the tragic murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, several large American cities are still devoid of any real return to law and order. As a result, the nation is embroiled in a narrative that was prevalent during the Obama presidency, law enforcement being extensively racist. That's right, Rebecca. Back in 2016, if you remember, several black men were shot and killed by police. And that summer, an Army Reserve Afghan war veteran shot and killed five police officers and injured seven others during a Dallas Black Lives Matter protest. Well, during a memorial service for those officers, then-President Obama said African-American parents were right to fear that their children may be killed by police officers whenever they go outside. Well, fast forward now to George Floyd's tragic murder this year. Barack Obama tweeted that millions of black Americans being treated differently by the criminal justice system on account of race is tragically, painfully, maddeningly normal. And then Vice President, and then this year's election cycle's Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, said that all African-Americans fear for their safety from bad police and black children must be instructed to tolerate police abuse just so they can make it home. Minnesota Governor Tim Waltz also chimed in, denouncing the death of Floyd as the stain of fundamental institutional racism on law enforcement. The cumulative outrage stemming from the deaths of black Americans at the hands of police has birthed a movement that has collectively condemned America as systematically racist. What has followed is a collective smear, not only on police, but on white Americans responsible for systemic racism that many say is rooted in white privilege and white supremacy. If any objections are raised, well, those objectors are just contributing to the plight of the oppressed. Mm -hmm. Our guest tonight says America is seeing the emergence of a new religion, the woke movement of racial justice. Yes, yes. And joining us by telephone tonight is uh, to discuss this rapid expansion of this racial justice movement is Catherine Kirsten. Catherine is a writer and an attorney, a senior policy fellow and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 to 1998. Catherine has also 
served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008, and before that was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. Catherine, it's an honor always to have you join us again on Education Nation. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Um, I actually did get to hear a little segment on Martha McCallum regarding this article. I think I shared that with you by email, and um, it was interesting. I think that your thoughts on this, Catherine, are starting to take hold. People are, I think they can really relate to what you're saying. So I'm excited to talk to you about this tonight. Wonderful. The tragic death of George Floyd has birthed a movement in this country that condemns America as systemically racist. And as a result, we have witnessed months of civil unrest, and this accusation is promoted across all sectors of society. From politicians to media talking points to sports athletes, the phrase systemic racism is the catchphrase that dominates conversation across the country. Can you explain for our listeners the concept of systemic racism and what specific factors in society are really being used to push this charge into our public consciousness? Well, by systemic racism, uh, the, these, the people promoting the concepts uh, refer to uh, America's fundamental social, cultural, and political institutions claiming that they are deeply and irremediably tainted with racism, that they were, in effect, designed to oppress black people. And uh, they, they, of course, can't point to uh, racist processes at this point, you know, decades after uh, uh, civil rights acts of the 60s, uh, and, and of course, after decades of affirmative action, in mm-hmm. fact, and massive social welfare spending. So they rely to make their case on racial differences in outcomes, mm-hmm. such as uh, academic uh, achievement and attainment. Um, you know, average incomes of, of people uh, considered to be in different racial groups. <clears throat> and then they assume that discrimination is the cause by death, you know, just, just mm-hmm. tautologically, uh, the, the cause of uh, these differences that they, that they see among uh, racial groups. And they, they point to what they call microaggressions and implicit bias, you know, almost invisible uh, <laughs> uh, symptoms of what they call racism. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, and, and like one of the things that you said that really um, resonated was you said they um, assume that our systems were designed to oppress. And that's something I find so interesting. Um, and we've had conversations about that in the past, that you know the founding of our of our country um, is being distorted by these people and this viewpoint. And while that's not the subject of our conversation today, um, I find that really it's disturbing. It's just disturbing to know that they would do that. Deeply dishonest. Very dishonest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're seeing this this deep dishonesty when we're applying, you know, or when collective stereotypes are applied that are really furthering the divide in the country. And they do continue to dominate discussion uh, surrounding this pursuit of equality. But why, why is that the emphasis instead of seeking to build upon the advancements that our country have experienced over the last 150 years, do you think? Well, of course, that's an excellent question. I think the answer is pretty simple. Uh, 
because if they did, in fact, describe mm-hmm. the direction of change, which is astounding and inspirational, uh, they couldn't win the argument. Right. Uh, <laughs> they could only right. win the argument by literally blotting out 60 years of, of tremendous effort to overcome the legacy of Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, their goal, I think, is to uh, augment their power and uh, this is the the way that they believe that that is uh, assured. Mm-hmm. And, and just to provide some context, too, uh, you, you've mentioned the last 60 years. We're talking the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, decades of affirmative action, a two-term black president, five consecutive years of the most ethnically and racially diverse Congress the country has experienced. And if you even go back beyond 60 years, we're talking Brown versus Board of Education in the 13th and 14th and 15th Amendments, and we can go on and on. And there has just been such tremendous progress over the course of the last 200 years. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So important to note. Well, the movement to eradicate the idea of white privilege has manifested in widespread rioting, looting, demands to defund police, and attempts to erase history through the toppling of statues of American historical figures. Can you explain for us, uh, Catherine, how this movement is elevating passion over reason, dogma over data, and then what is happening to those who are calling for objective analysis? Right. If you if you look at data, uh, you are likely to be called racist in an attempt uh, to silence any kind of analysis of the facts. But mm-hmm. uh, examples that I and many others have pointed to of the elevation of of passion over reason and the dishonesty that results are, are, are have to do with say black lives matter mm-hmm. and the kind of uh moral indignation and, and fury that they uh, that they uh, that that they they project uh, mm-hmm. to the public when it comes to the death of uh, someone like George Floyd and by the way my understanding is that the toxicology report from uh, his uh, examination revealed that he had more than three times the potentially legal, uh, lethal uh, dose of fentanyl in his Oh, system. my goodness. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so was, according to the toxicology reports, uh, uh, death was a likely possibility for him regardless of, mm-hmm. of what happens um, mm-hmm. in, in his encounter with the police. Mm-hmm. But, you know, great uh, fury. Uh, about that, but complete silence when innocent toddlers right. are killed mm-hmm. uh, in in the kind of reign of gunfire that we've been seeing uh, in Minneapolis uh, mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. Uh, Floyd's death uh, as of a few weeks ago. When I wrote about this for the Star Tribune, uh, there had been uh, nearly twice as many homicides in Minneapolis. Uh, to that point uh, in the year as as we had seen last year. You know, hundreds and hundreds of people shot an increase of 60% over mm-hmm. the same time the year before. And nationally, according to the FBI, 90% of black murder victims are killed by other black people yeah. where the race of the killer is. 90%. Is so, 90%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so here's, here's an example of passion over reason you mm-hmm. know if you really care about black lives you're going to care about all black lives right, right? not only about the tiny tiny minority of black people uh, who die in police custody mm-hmm. wow 
That's right. That's pretty shocking. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's the thing. There's a great neglect in disseminating the data, and it's important to remind our listeners that real progress, it can't be made, nor can true issues that would be attributed to being systemic, they can't be correctly addressed when the data is ignored. And I just want to share a series of numbers here that kind of paint the picture nationally of what we're looking at. According to a June article in the Wall Street Journal, uh, the distressing events surrounding the Floyd murder it isn't representative of the 375 million annual contacts that police officers have with civilians. I mean, consider these numbers. Last year in 2019, police fatally shot 1,004 people, most of whom were armed and dangerous. African Americans were about a quarter of those that were killed by cops, a ratio that has remained stable since 2015. And that share of black victims is less than what the black crime rate predicts since police shootings are a function of how often officers encounter armed and violent suspects. Mm -hmm. Now, take it back two years ago, 2018, the last year for which such data have been published. African-Americans made up 53 percent of known homicide offenders in the U.S. and commit about 60 percent of robberies, though they are 13 percent of the population. It's also important to note that a Washington Post database states that in 2019, there were nine unarmed blacks that were killed by police compared to 19 unarmed whites. And these numbers are down. There's a decrease from 38 and 32, respectively, back in 2015. And then the database also from the Washington Post reports that in 2018, there were 7,407 black homicide victims. Now, assuming a comparable number of victims in 2019, those nine unarmed black victims of police shootings represent 0.1% of all African Americans that were killed in 2019. And in contrast, the database reports that a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. Mm. Interesting data. Wow. Wow. And similar to what uh, Catherine was just sharing a little bit earlier, too. The latest study that weakens the claim of systemic policies bias was published in August 2019 in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Researchers found that the more frequently officers encounter violent suspects from any given racial group, the greater the chance that a member of that group will be fatally shot by a police officer, which you know makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Um, the study concluded that there is no significant evidence of anti-black, anti-black disparity in the likelihood of being fatally shot by police. So instead of the national discussion, including the statistical trends that challenge assertions of systemic racism. Um, so, again, the reason part, right? right? right. Um, you write that what is unfolding before our eyes is a new secular religion. It makes its claims of inclusivity, yet it is deeply intolerant. Share with our listeners the roots that this new religion has in the American past, and why would it surprise its adherents? Well, uh, I have uh, compared uh, this new woke uh, mindset to uh, the, the Puritan era of our nation's earliest religious zealots. Mm-hmm. Uh, these progressives, I, I've said, are, are now engaged in doing theology without God. Mm-hmm. And it's been said that woke is the new saved. It must be clear here that um, uh, that that the Puritan Christian t- tradition was 
rich in so many ways. What I'm talking about here is uh, a, a perverse and twisted version mm-hmm. of Puritanism in its extreme forms. That is uh, the kind of witch hunt mentality we uh, associate with the, the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe that in so many respects we're really taking steps backwards. It seems, um, you know, when we see the 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 cry, the outcry, it seems like the cry is to really bring us back to a time when there was such a deep separation and there's just no calls for unity. It's just like you say, it's the single mindset. If you're not woke then you don't have the right mindset Mm -hmm. and then you get kind of cast aside Mm -hmm. and right and And, and speaking of the the parallels because that was i think the uh, part of your question um we associate the the notion of innate depravity uh with puritanism uh i mean that the the notion of original sin is, is is common throughout christianity but uh this kind of calvinist uh notion that that has now been twisted by progressives. Uh, yeah. it, it puts forth a, an updated version of an innate depravity, and that mm-hmm. is that our original sin here in America is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, there's the idea that uh, human beings, uh, according to the Puritans, are divided into saved and damned, two kinds of people. Well, today, the woke faith says you're either an oppressor as a white person or you're a victim mm-hmm. yep. as as a non-white person, right, mm. right. Unless you're woke, then you're then you're, you're okay. on the right side. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yes, as you said, it's it's like the new saved. You know. Well, any any resistance, you know, to this this false gospel of woke, it's brought a heavy cost to those that have been brave enough to stand against its its witch hunt mentality. And in your article, Catherine, you mentioned the list of quote unquote heretics or those who hesitate to embrace this movement. I think it's important for our listeners to understand uh, and to know the identities on this rapidly expanding list of those who have been fired or compelled to resign. And also, how about the names of those who have yielded to these forced conversions to this new faith? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, of course. Well, here we, we have another parallel uh, that today a bigot and hater are the new witch and wizard. If we look back to uh, the Salem witch trials. I mean, if you believe that you have a, a truth that all others must adopt or, or be you know, pushed out of the circle of civilized life, uh, mm-hmm. then uh, you, will, you will begin to finger heretics. So, I mean, there are countless people, as we know, who fall into that category. Uh, the, the New York Times editors, there were two who were compelled to resign in the last few months because they had agreed to publish an opinion piece uh, by U.S. Senator Tom Cotton in mm-hmm. the New York Times. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, of course, um, Grant uh, Napier, who was the Sacramento Kings announcer, who tweeted that all lives matter, every single one, quote, and that was not considered to be sufficiently um, a- abject and apologetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was forced out. Uh, an odd group, the leaders of, of a group called the Poetry Foundation, they actually issued a statement that denounced systemic racism, but some people thought it didn't go far enough. Hmm. So they were out in their ear. 
Mm-hmm. And in terms of of, of converts, um, of course, uh, one who got a lot of attention was Drew Brees, who the New or- who is the New Orleans Saints quarterback. Mm-hmm. And first, he stood up and said uh, that it, it was wrong for him. he he wouldn't go along with athletes who knelt during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. But I believe it was just a day later he totally recanted, apologized, said he had so much to learn. I mean, it's it also conjures up images of the the, the, the uh, cultural revolution in in, uh, China, Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of thing. And then another unfortunate uh, convert, Dan Cathy, who was the CEO of Chick-fil-A, which stood so long against this, and he apologized for his uh, past sins and and, uh, shined the shoes, kind of washed the feet, you could say, Mm -hmm. of a a black rapper to show, uh, to confess his sins. Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things about this is that so many, this is happening so much at the level of CEOs and big corporations, yes. you know, who who we would like to think that historically have been outside of the realm of, of moral discussion. Um, but, you know, a long time ago, a friend of mine who sadly has since passed um, said, you know, Rebecca, the the new corporate the corporations are becoming like the new church mm-hmm. and yep. they are determining the moral course of our society rather than the churches themselves because they've got so much power and i'm just wondering how much of that though is influenced by the bottom dollar it's just that it's the, all about oh, the money it's i'm the, sure the there's some of that involved yep. i'm sure there's some of that involved yeah but it's it is it's very discouraging it um because you know, we do really want to support the the values that this country was founded on, which is Absolutely. that every person is valuable and made in the image of God. And um, and that's the interesting yeah. thing there, because that that talks about individual recognizance. But we have these collective smears. Yes. It's this group yeah. of people. Collectivism group. is at the core of a lot of this. Um, right. I feel like the American people were somewhat prepped for this type of thinking because the group collectivist thinking has really been on the rise in the last, you know, 25, 30 years. Yep. So, um, well, the growing chorus behind this condemnation of America and to defund police boiled over just last weekend in the St. Paul suburb of Hugo. Hundreds of Black Lives Matter protesters marched through the neighborhood in which Bob Kroll lives. Um, Kroll is the president of the Police Officers Federation of Minneapolis, the police union for the Minneapolis Police Department. And the DFL House candidate, John Thompson of St. Paul, led the group to gather in front of Kroll's home, where he began screaming profanities at a group of white teenage girls, cursing white people as racist, cursing police, and cursing the city of Hugo, Minnesota. You know, it was just shocking. I was able to listen to a couple of those videos, video clips, and I thought, why isn't he being arrested? Exactly. You know, and he, and here, he, I mean, he is making threats. Right. There was a day that that was illegal, and now no longer he's he's allowed to do this and threaten the neighborhood, and then to think that he's running for office. That's the scary part. <laughs> right. I thought, really is is this what we have come to now? Right. There these, will be no representation for half of his constituents. Yeah, it's very it's very discouraging. And, and, in, and in the video too, I mean, you notice. There is a time where there are, I believe, two police officers that are standing in the corner of Bob Kroll's driveway, just completely. I mean, they, there was nothing they could do mm-hmm. with the crowds of, you know, 
of several hundred people. And, you know, I want to also note a couple of things about that encounter. Alpha News Minnesota reported that while Thompson was gathered um, with the crowd in front of Bob Kroll's home, he was filmed beating several effigies in the driveway, not only of Bob Kroll, but also of his wife, Liz Collin, who is a news anchor for WCCO television here in the Twin Cities. And earlier in the protest, uh, there were uh, witnesses that said that Thompson had threatened to burn down the city of Hugo. Mm. He vowed to come for everything that uh, that was taken from them. And then he also said that this whole with a with a lot of swearing and yes, a lot of swearing, which we're going <laughs> to stay not giving far an exact away. Quote. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and Thompson also said that you know this whole state burned down for twenty dollars, and he he then said, "You think we give a bleepity bleep about burning Hugo down? I mean, this is inciting riots. Yes. This is riotous mm-hmm. language, riotous mm-hmm. behavior." And they're emboldened because there's no police presence that's actually cracking down on this. Yeah. Imagine if it were in reverse. Oh, for sure. If you were in the streets preaching the gospel with a megaphone, you you would be arrested right away. Yes. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes. And, you know, and and let's, this is also equally disturbing. The fact that he's running for office, he had also uh, received the endorsement of Minnesota DFL party Attorney General Keith Ellison, Representative Betty McCollum, and Governor Tim Waltz. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I I would think that they would have a really hard time uh, with these videos. I can't imagine that they aren't a little bit embarrassed by their endorsements. I don't know. Um, but it is. It's all in the name of this woke movement. So uh, we saw Mayor Fry kind of sulk away from the crowd. That's right. Um so how do we explain, Catherine, I know we just have a few minutes left, but how do we explain this rapid capitulation? If there is a collective failure to stand against this movement, what will the leaders of this movement ultimately accomplish? Well, in terms of how to explain it, um, I think that in our society today, uh, which has has it is so secularized uh people are very much searching for meaning mm-hmm. uh they no longer um are told the important thing is character and its development through the cultivation of virtue they're told that they can become anybody they want choose an identity you know yeah. be who you want to be well mm-hmm. the easy thing is to become a social justice activist mm-hmm. and uh, you know, adopt that identity by just professing certain approved opinions, you can become a good person better than everybody else. And that's the whole idea behind uh, the new religion of of wokeness. And Mm -hmm. Rebecca, you've already talked about corporations. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it appears to be, or they think it's good business uh, to go along with this. Um, And they can certainly be held hostage in the same way Bob Cole uh, is Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't go along Mm -hmm. with it. And as I I said earlier, I think the movement's leaders, and John Thompson seems to be a good example, Mm -hmm. um, simply want power. They want the chance to redo society from the top to the bottom Mm -hmm. uh, to conform to their idea of what is is equitable. Uh, But uh, democracy, I'm afraid, is not part of that. Right. So it is, it is uh, very, very disturbing. And it's very dangerous, and I, I really do encourage our listeners to look into this more. We always want our listeners to be informed and to be staying on top of all of these um, things that you see in the news that you might just kind of cast off as, oh, it's another riot, it's another riot, and it becomes almost uh, secondhand. But as you pointed out, this this is truly the destruction of democracy, 
And we need to be vigilant in standing up against it. So, well, Catherine, once again, we're always so glad to have you on our show. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Mark, of course, always Always as my co-host. And if you want to have your students learning true history, send them to Liberty Classical Academy. We will be opening in the fall, Liberty Classical Academy in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. And listen to our podcast at ednationmn.org. Good night.